2: 2023. Welcome to the Mike Abedir Show. This is your host, of course, Mike Abadier, alongside my main man, Pop DiBiase. And we got a lot to talk about today because not just is baseball in full swing and we've got some changes at the top of the standings, but Saratoga is in full flight. We're right around the corner from Del Mar. And we got some NFL news today, so I think let's lead off with that because we haven't talked NFL in a minute, Pop. Uh, obviously, the Redskins uh, slash Commanders franchise is in the news, but I want to start off with running backs. Seems like two of the best performers last year: Jacobs of the Raiders and Saquon Barkley of the Giants, looking for long-term deals. The running back position has been devalued, as we all know. They're not getting the deals that we want. Saquon yesterday said that he is more than willing to sit out this season, if need be. That didn't turn out very well for Le'Veon Bell's career. Like, he was done after that. Taking a year
1: off of football is a disastrous approach. What are your thoughts, Pop? I think that is more emotion than anything. Knowing who Saquon is and the type of guy he is, that's just because he's on what he feels like an open, open form to where he can just express himself. And he knows it's going to send a message to his team. You know what I mean? And I know this is the new way of going about your business, and it's really not a good way of going about your business. I, for not one moment, I don't think that he's going to miss this season. He's already seen what nightmare scenario is around the corner if he does attempt to do that, and it's just, it's just not going to work. But one thing he does have working in his favor, and I know you're going to get mad at me about this, he's not in the same situation as Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell had been Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown. He had a lot of, of of co-stars in that situation. So the Pittsburgh uh back dial back was 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 very was very like you know, it made sense because Pittsburgh is a running factory. They're a running back factory. They always are looking for new running backs every five, eight, six years or so. So them doing what they did to Le'Veon Bell—that's business as usual. But with the Giants, they haven't had every time. It seems like they get an impactful player, a guy that's 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 a, a really good asset to have. They figure out ways to say why they should pay them. You know. Before it was OBJ. Now it's Saquon. And you saw that they didn't recover very well when they got rid of OBJ. And Saquon, to me, is too important of a player for you guys to kind of play around the way that they are. But I know the Giants are trying their hardest to make sure that they meet him in the middle. They're not going to give him exactly what he wants, but they're not going to give him less than what he what he, what he needs to get. They want to meet him in the middle, and I think this is, and don't get mad at me when I say this, I think it's more about the agent not doing his job, in a sense, and making sure that he gets his guy what's right. You know what I mean? And then you're not being a good agent when you're letting guys walk onto these, these media uh, outlets and start talking. No, you go dark. You say nothing. Go work out. Keep working on your craft. Get prepared for the season because we're going in with the mentality that we're going to play this season. We're not going in with the mentality, I'm not going to play unless they give me my money. No. You remember what you're here for. This is the greatest opportunity in the world, man. You're playing a kid's game at a king's ransom regardless of how you feel about it. Okay, Millions of dollars is a lot of money. And they all know this at the end of the day. That's why it's starting to piss me off a little bit when I see on Twitter where they say, oh, man, Pacheco, he's never going to get paid. Well, damn, if he makes $4 million, you know, when when it's time to get him paid $4 million a year, I think that he got paid. Because do you have $4 million in your bank account? Because you can't say millions of dollars is a little bit of money because it isn't a little bit of money. This is money so that you can have a life. And even if you get a uh, nine hundred thousand off these deals from, um, you know, being a lower rung player, you're still getting yourself a nice little sum of money. You know, I know everybody wants to be Mister Monopoly, but the world doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't work like
2: that. And look, the 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 analogy when I compared the Le'Veon Bell uh, situation when I brought him up. It's purely from the perspective of if he holds out, doesn't play this year. If he sits out a season, which Le'Veon Bell did, it didn't work for Le'Veon Bell. Why? Because you only have about four or five prime years as a running back. He had already spent four of them. That was the fifth, and he sat it out. Now you're on the downside of your career as a running back. That's just fact, right? And so Saquon Barkley has now been in the league long enough and he's had some injuries that if he sits out this year, he's probably sitting out the best possible season in his prime. If you fast forward a year without football and the rust, etc. cetera, you're already starting your downward trajectory. And that's exactly what happened to Le'Veon Bell. He never had a a fantastic season again. He went from being the most dynamic playmaker out of the halfback position in the NFL to an afterthought. It didn't work out well. And I don't think it will work out well for Saquon, too. Saquon, if you're listening to this show, don't take this season off. Now, as to what you said about the agents, Now, why would I get mad at that, Pop? I think a vast majority of agents are shit. I'll be the first to tell you that. They do a shit job. They're poor at communicating their message, and they're poor at getting the player to be able to communicate the right message or to shut the F up, just like you were saying, stay quiet. But instead, they kind of almost like show their hand. If you're playing poker, you don't want to show your hand at this point in time and then make idle threats and then look like a dipshit when you come back to training camp. No, oh, I thought you were going to hold out. What happened? You know, and Then you're going to subject yourself to more scrutiny, and that's just going to piss off Saquon even more. He's going to feel screwed by the team, and then the relationship goes sour. So agents definitely have have uh, blame in in the situation the last thing i'm going to say is this we're the ones that rushed into getting the new cba done right and the cba is where all of the rules relating to franchise tags etc are outlined you know if if we weren't gonna like it we as in the union which uh, people might not know this, the NFL Players Association, the NFLPA, is made up of the agents and the players. So it actually should be NFLPAA agents, uh, the you know it, agents and the players, and um, we we agreed to it. But as you can see, you you only agree to it as long as you're not tagged, right? If if you are tagged, you don't like it. So you know hey, man, you got to live with the decision you made. This is what he agreed and signed on, right? So there are a lot of different components there. Let's shift over to Jacobs. Jacobs' situation is interesting because he really wasn't a great Raider running back really until maybe like week five last year. Like the, the three or four years prior to that, he was good, but he wasn't like one of the best. Now, I don't know what happened after week five, or Maybe it was week six, but the rest of the year he balled, uh, and now he wants to get paid as such, right? And I and I and I get it, but again, you know, um, let me ask you the question: Would, well, I guess look, a lot of this also is going to be very dependent on how much your the organization values the running back position. So if you're the General manager, Pop, how do you handle the Jacob situation? Do you look at it more like, you know what? Running backs are a dime a dozen. We could pick up somebody else, plug him into the equation, and with our O-line and our offensive system, anybody could succeed in our system? Or is he a must sign this guy because he is, you know, one
1: of the top three running backs in the league? Where do you stand? My thing is like this. I feel like running backs, they just don't like it. But the Saints were really pioneers of the business in the beginning. And I think that Master P and his little agency that they put together, they didn't know that they were making history in the right way, but they've dialed it back since that point. They have to make running backs have incentive-based contracts, straight up. You know what I mean? And I feel like, okay, let's give you a base salary. All right, Josh, we can give you 20 straight up, okay? And for you to really make the money, 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 you have to hit these certain bonuses. You have to hit these certain, you know, tiers. But I know players refuse to sign contracts like that because at the end of the day, that makes sure the team has control over your playing time so that means if a coach is pissed off at you or if a coach feels like it's been told from up top hey look we don't want to pay him that extra two hundred fifty thousand, then they'll make sure you don't play the last game of the season they'll be like oh you heard his pinky finger or something you know what i mean or they'll make sure that you don't get your touches or your plays or your snaps so i know yeah, that's why guys sure. dial back a little bit in that sense I'm sorry. Or go
3: ahead.
1: Is, uh, I was going to say, or it uh, promotes selfishness. Right. And then it turns into a bad situation where you're starting to kind of favor one guy. But I mm-hmm. do feel like there needs to be certain incentives to hit. Like, it's not hard to be like, okay, you got to get over five touchdowns for you to get X amount of dollars for this. Because you're asking for a King's ransom for a position that they feel is very replaceable because they feel that the offensive line is pushing the running game, not the running back. And that's not necessarily true. I've seen running backs make the offensive line look stellar and vice versa. And I feel like Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs are two guys that make their offensive lines look stellar. It's not the other way around. You know, these are impact players. But I do your gripe about josh jacobs because josh jacobs at the end of the day is a banged up player and the raiders know that but the raiders were there to make the raiders were ready to make the deal but then it goes back to when your agent acts like your buddy and doesn't act like your agent and i see i met josh's agent at the super bowl media week and he's he was a nice guy but i thought he was like his security guard or something you know what I mean, bodyguard or the head buddy. You know what I mean, but I didn't think that he was his agent till he said he was his agent. You know, because you see, usually those guys they have handlers with them as well too. The handlers that are hired by the NFL, but if they have their agent with them, that's a different story. And I'm I'm in my mind, uh, agents are supposed to pull up with the. Uh, dressed to the nine with a suit on, all that good stuff, and he's jawjacking on the phone. Nah, this guy pulled up in a regular sweatsuit like he's about to go coach an AAU team. So, you know, um, I looked at that situation and I felt like they were kind of like they weren't as organized as guys should be, you know what I mean? And I felt like when they didn't make that deal happen, they just didn't make that deal happen because guys weren't, on their job as hard as they needed to be. I know if we had my brother, Mike Abadir, and I'm not trying to say this because this is my guy. I just know how Mike is. Mike would have got that deal done before they even got to, uh, as soon as the draft was over with, because he knows how to, because he, Mike knows how to deal with situations like that. So pretty much, you know, these agents really just like to say who they're representing until they get fired. That's how I'm seeing this new uh, crop of agents and how how it works. CJ Stroud, same situation. It's like these guys got buddies as agents, and it's like that's not cool, man. You need a Jerry Maguire, not a Bob Sugar. You know what I mean? You gotta have somebody that's gonna go get your deal done, you know, and not right. be worried about hanging out at the next uh, Mike, uh, uh, the next Ruben party, which was absolutely <laughs> what was absolutely uh, some some weird behavior. I will never let another grown man hug me from the back like that. Sorry, little baby.
2: Yeah, no, no, no not for me. Not for me. You know, I, I do all, want bro. to. Admit, I don't know sure do how a
1: comment. you are. Back up.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you you were talking about uh, you were talking about the uh, incentive uh, based uh, contracts, and I want to chime in with uh, with one aspect of that that the, that yourself and the listeners um, probably should keep in mind, which is this. A lot of times, the teams don't like those contracts. And I'm going to tell you why. Because a signing bonus can be spread out salary cap-wise. Even if you're going to give somebody the entire signing bonus now, you could spread it out over the length of the contract. So instead of, let's just say somebody gets like a $10 million signing bonus, instead of having all of it hit this year's salary cap, you could have – two and a half, two and a half, two and a half, two and a half for this year, next year, the year after and the year after that. Each of those years, you have a two and a half million dollar hit on the cap rather than a $10 million dollar hit in any one season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could spread it out differently. Uh, and so there's there are a lot of other subtleties and complexities which uh, you know teams factor in. You know, uh, right now, I'm actually working on something. I really can't disclose it at the present time. But, you know, when I was talking to one of the teams, you know, they were telling me, okay, well, we'll consider your proposal, but we have to play it out three or four different ways. So you'll model it out this way. So like in your example, they'd model it out with the incentive base. And then they would model it out with a big signing bonus. And then they would model it out Spreading the, excuse me, spreading the signing bonus, and then they would model it out for a lower signing bonus, but a higher annual. right? And then they look at all four or all five scenarios and look to see how it affects the salary gap. because I want to say one more thing. It's not a matter of teams being cheap. They have to spend the money. There's a salary cap, and there's a salary min. Minimum. They have to spend that money. It's going to somebody. So it's kind of funny to me when people are like, oh, team's being cheap. No, they're not. You know, they're going to have to spend 91% at, at, as a minimum of the cap total for that allotted season. So really what it is is not cheap, but we want to make sure that we can afford to spread the money out to all you guys so we can have a good team. Because if we give all the money to three or four guys, we're not going to have a very good team. And that's why a lot of times the quarterbacks will get a big contract and then a couple of years into it, they'll restructure to a more team-friendly deal so they can bring in more players or better players so the quarterback can win in a Super Bowl. Brady did it. Peyton did it, etc. cetera. So, um, you know, running backs, though, bringing it back to – to Jacobs and and Saquon, I I just don't think, Pop, that the NFL as a whole feels that it's a marquee position anymore. It's a position that can be filled with undrafted free agents. We've seen it year in, year out, probably more than any other position where you plug in an undrafted free agent and he succeeds. You know, uh, it's it's no longer the day and age of first-round running backs uh, every single year uh, that are going to be dominating the league. No, those days are gone. It's a completely different position now. Now, I don't know if you heard the Ole Miss running back's comments earlier today. He had the most uh, rushing yards as a freshman since Emmett Smith. So this this guy's looking like a very promising prospect. But he is very wise, very astute for his age. He was like, I'm already working right now on my blocking skills and on my receiving skills. I want to be involved in the passing game because I know that's what the NFL is about, i.e. they don't really care about the running back position unless you're a dynamic player. So I know it's kind of a long-winded response there. Uh, We got other things to get to. I'll give you the final word.
1: Well, Mike, I got to agree. It's about being versatile, and that's what they see now. And that's exactly what they want is for the running back to be versatile. They, they're they out of the, the, the business of having the big bruiser that literally just breaks teams. But you know what? To me, it's always about the fit for the team. Some teams are traditionally good as running teams. I don't care what anybody says. The Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, um, who else? The Giants, um, you know. Even the Dolphins, whenever they have great running games, they're a very successful team. Same thing goes for the Dallas Cowboys. You know what I mean? So, you know, I know that we will probably start looking at the running back position as a more case-by-case situation, but I do understand where you're coming from with that. Teams don't have to make it their high-end priority to where we have to have a running back to be our face of the franchise. But that also goes for the wide receiver as well, too. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, they're just beginning with the running back, but the wide receiver's next. Because the, literally the second tight end wiped out the fullback. So yeah, you- but I don't know about that. I don't know about that pop. Because look at uh, Green Bay with
2: Aaron Rodgers when he uh, with the receiving core that he had when um, when Devonte Adams was gone. You know they really suffered. Where whereas you know you could plug in another running back and still be successful. I think I think the passing game sets up the run now. So if you've got a good. Pa- passing game you could get by with an inferior running back we've gone way over let's take a quick commercial timeout we'll come back pick up the conversation right after this
3: follow voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts
0: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show If you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 That's one 866 472 or send an email to mike at themikeabadeershow.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Picking up where we left off, talking about the uh, the possible signings or sitting out of two of the better running backs from the 2022 season. What does it mean for the 2023 season? I think these two teams in particular pop. Their success probably hinges a lot on whether they've got these uh, running backs because they don't have great quarterbacks and the Giants don't have a great receiving core. Really, he's the only dynamic player in that offense. So if they don't have Saquon back, you know, that offense is a bottom, you know, bottom third of the NFL offense, maybe even worse, right? With the Raiders, at least they have Devontae Adams. You know, right. Jimmy G Jimmy G. can throw the rock. He's just very inconsistent, and he'll throw big-time interceptions. But, like, he's a dude that can get you, like, 300 yards a game kind of regularly. He's just going to lose you the game because of the I.T.s. And I think that's a big problem, especially when a team has a lead. That's kind of why having Jacobs there is imperative yep. for the Raiders as well. Uh, but, you know, like I was telling you during the break, I, I think it's going to be a long season for the Raiders if they don't have Jacobs. It's probably going to be a long season for the Raiders anyways. But if, if it literally comes down to just Devontae Adams and Jimmy G, man, that, that, that not only does that suck, Pop, but it's a waste of the excitement in getting Devontae Adams. Like How can you F up that situation so badly?
1: Look, to me, they have to sign back. They have to get Josh Jacobs back. I don't think Josh Jacobs is going to be sitting out no season or anything like that. He can't afford to do that. The guy was homeless at one point of his life. He he enjoy, he loves having this opportunity. And I think that if they would have been able to just get right to where they wanted to be, just even close to it, Josh would have signed off on it. I just really feel like his agent failed him here. You know what I mean? Because I know Josh just wants to sign I mean, I know Josh just wants to sign his deal. He knows that he got plenty of sponsors and plenty of people in Las Vegas that will give him those extra dollars that he's truly looking for. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think that with him coming back, he gives them probably their only chance at being a 500 team because you need Josh Jacobs there to help you ice that clock. And one thing I will give Jimmy G is, you give Jimmy G a 20 to zip lead, he ain't losing it. Let's keep it real. He's not losing it. That's one thing that we can't question about Derek Carr. How did you keep losing all these big leads? And you, and the excuse was that, oh, well, the defense, no, but sometimes you got to be able to take five, six minutes off the clock. You know what I mean? Not just this three and out situation that you kept running into. So pretty much with Jimmy G, he knows how to melt that clock. He knows how to, kind of BS the time a little bit. You know what I mean? And just keep the clock rolling. And I think that probably might have turned into a frustration for uh, McDaniels like it did for a lot of Raider fans. Because at the end of all those games where the Raiders blew those leads, Carr was always the uh, first person they were blaming. So, I, Yeah, but I thought, it, I thought it was more the play I calling. Play calling you. You. I thought it was play calling, to be honest with you. I thought it was play calling, to be honest with you. I thought that the play calling was absolutely horrendous once they got leads. Horrible. Be yeah, because you now now you're doing it like okay, you're trying to beat them by 40. Now let's keep running these silly ass uh shotgun plays that ain't going nowhere. What you do is you line up you, you line up the fullback, the running back, and we're going to keep running this ball until this team quits. We'll pass when we need to. But right. don't waste leads like that. The Raiders could have been the most dominant team in the NFL last year if they could have right. held on to any of those leads. Any of them, any of them, they are a game or two away from being in the playoffs from games that we thought they won already. You know, the absolutely. Game, I felt like the turning point of the season that really pretty much ended the Raiders' year was the Jaguars game because it shifted momentum. The Jaguars were a hapless team at that moment. And that literally sparked Trevor Lawrence to become the darling of the second half of the season, right after that Raider game. He, sure did. he He started playing up to his potential because he needed that moment to say, hey, I can do this NFL thing. Now he comes in as a top five pick to be the MVP next year because we all know how special of a player he was in college. He, was, he had a Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck grade, and him – having any type of issues was very very uh surprising to everybody but you saw the reason why he had those issues because he had a college coach who's a college dictator trying to coach up a team that's a, a a floundering franchise and they had to go get an actual NFL coach for him to be with. Urban Meyer didn't even have NFL experience. And they thought that he was going to be able to. Take the Jaguars to some level. That he he could. That no. You're just not going to do that. And haven't they learned their lesson already. Um, from all these great college coaches. That come into the NFL. With no NFL experience. Like literally you don't do it. You know not to do it. So you know. Pretty much. The Raiders have to get Josh Jacobs in there, and they got to get him happy. You know what I mean? And that means by any means necessary. And I think Mark Davis is pretty good at buttering people up and being the nice guy and being a good guy. He needs to invite Josh out to uh Aces game or something of that nature where people can see him all on camera, possibly get him to come to the fight next weekend with uh Crawford and Spence. And, um, you know, pretty much, you know, show face that you support your running back. We weren't able to get the deal done, but he's with us. He's going to show up for camp. We're going to let him get his little vacation time in. And when he comes back, he's going to be ready to roll. And we're going to be ready to roll. But uh, right. if speaking I, of ready to roll, oh, okay. Just I'm just going to end it with this. But my opinion on the Raiders, don't take any future bets on them and don't take any bets on them to win the division. That's a last place team. I, uh, I, I hate that I agree with you on this.
2: I hate it because it's the Raiders, but I agree with you. This is last place, Steve. Cause
1: Cause they, the last I'm going to tell you this. like this. They hate McDaniels, bro. I've been hearing some grumblings, and I know you have too because you have a more inside track on the NFL, and that locker room hates that guy. You could see it in the final game of the season, dude. Right. Yep. They right. hate him. and they thought he was getting fired and wound up he was still here. Uh, uh, To me, I think McDaniels is top, uh, bottom three
2: NFL head coaches. The guy is a coordinator for the Patriots at best. That's what he is, simply put. Guy's another Chris Palmer, bro. So uh, for me, I'm never, ever, ever going to predict that the Raiders are going to achieve success while that guy is the head coach. But speaking of success, how about the Baltimore Orioles, Uh, who have been a dreadful team for a really, really, really long time. And we, we wake up this morning and we see that they're atop the AL East, best division in baseball, and a division that the Rays pretty much had in hand for a vast majority of the season. They've kind of leveled off their play a little bit. They've come back down to earth a little bit. But I think it's kind of more a function of the Orioles really, really starting to gel, you know, with a lot of their young players, man. What, what are your impressions of the Orioles? Because obviously they've got tons of young talent. I'm just not seeing it. Seeing a pitching staff, man. I don't know how they're doing it without a pitching staff.
1: Well, with the Orioles, Mike, this is what, what it is with the Orioles. And you know – you know, I'll go keep to it by word about this, but you know who was on them from day one. They, my dark horse team of all teams, the 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 Orioles. I had the Orioles going over 78 wins this year. Mm-hmm. I had them possibly the final peak. The fi- I actually chose them to be the final uh, uh, team in the playoffs as well, too. They right. over- exceeded my expectations. And the reason why they're doing it, Mike, they're the one team in the MLB that hasn't had like a five-game losing streak. This is what the Orioles do. The Orioles will lose a series, but they won't get swept in the series. The Orioles have not been swept in a series in 70 series, dude. That dates back to last year as well, too. So this team has learned how to be a consistent winner. It's not about sweeping every series. It's about not losing too many games in a row, and they were able to get the the Rays. Like I said on my show today, the Rays are, are like a team that jumped out in a five hundred thousand dollar stake race, and it's a mile and a quarter. You know, but they jumped out with the idea that they're in a five and a half uh, sprint, furlong sprint, and now we're hitting the stretch drive. And now, as as my man would love to say, shadows. And, yeah, right. And Baltimore has been on the tail. Baltimore didn't wasn't far back like everybody else. Baltimore saved ground. The Yankees they're just going about their business because the Yankees know that they they got one big running. Your Red Sox they're up and down, up and down, but they even got one big running. And then the Blue Jays. They're the team that's like, okay, we're we're on the pace. We're here, but we're more about getting to the playoffs at this point. The Rays were in a situation that was too much for them. Getting out to that big early start for them wasn't the best recipe for a, a big-time season because they never looked like a team that was going to win 100 games this year, Mike. I always felt like the Rays were going to have a, a a high point and a low point. Over the last six weeks or so, it's been a low point. Look at their record when they started and look at their record today. You you you'll see the big difference in it. They started off thirteen and zero before they lost. They're now sixty and what forty something now, something like that. So think about that in a sense as well too, Mike. Right? They actually have a losing record now. Since going 13 and 0. So you have to factor that in, just like I factored that in on the Pirates. You know, how did the Pirates fall off? Because they had a Wait, wait, hold on, hold
2: on a second. Hold on a second. They're 16 and 39. So if you take out 13 wins, they're 47 and 39. They, they're still eight games above 500, but they definitely are playing at the ridiculous clip that they were playing.
1: Right, right. They, they're playing regular Tampa Bay Rays baseball. And they got a run that you usually get in the that they usually get in the middle of the year, but they got the run early in the year. And you have to under everybody has to understand me and you said this off top, the AL East is the toughest division in baseball. And I said that the 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 team that everybody voted for last place, the Orioles, aren't a last place team anymore if anybody was going to be destined to finish last, I thought it was going to be Tampa Bay because I didn't feel like they had enough. I felt like they, they, they have a good core guys that they develop, but they didn't have the big names and the big, big, the big, big, you know, the, the marquee stuff like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. And I felt like the Orioles were going to be better than them all season anyway. But now the Orioles have arrived, and they've shown that they got such a great group of hitters—guys that know what they're doing and they love playing with each other. And the the guys that are carrying them—it's crazy. A guy like Old uh, Gibson, who used to pitch for, who was a stud with Minnesota years ago, and then you got Creamer, a former Dodger prospect who's pretty good as well. And then also Grayson Rodriguez, who's a, who's seen as a phenom, he hasn't even been that good this year. But when he does come up and when he's when he's pitching well, he pitches very well. So things work out pretty good for them. But the thing that makes the Orioles really good, Mike, is their bullpen. The Orioles, they don't talk about the Orioles' bullpen enough, but the Orioles' bullpen will shut it down. They truly will shut it down. And Cano oh, yeah. is, is a hell of a pitcher. Their closer is a closer that can get six outs easily. You know what I mean? And that's where they went at. Sometimes it's not about your starters. It's about who's in the bullpen to, to, to keep – all you need the starter to do is just not get beat on. Just don't give up six runs, bro, and we're good. The bullpen, yeah, their,
3: the
1: rest. Their bullpen you know? is
2: phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Dude, that trifecta of Batista, Cano, and Colombi – is uh, I would say the best in baseball. And then they yeah. added a player from the A's who I don't know a whole lot about, but apparently he, he his stats are misleading. He was roughed up early in the year when he was a starter. Since he's been a reliever, he's been dynamite. And so the rich even get richer when it comes to bullpen. I'm just not convinced on their starting rotation. And the stats do bear that out, Pop. They've given up the most runs for any of the American League playoff contenders by far. So, you know, I think it's going to be one of those things where can they find one around the trade deadline? At least what – it's hard to win in baseball without an ace, without a true ace. But I don't even know if they have a true number two. I think their team is a bunch of threes and fours and fives. That's, that's how I view them personally, Pop. But maybe, heck, maybe their offense is good enough where they can overcome that, you know? Right. I mean, that could be the case. Right. I think you made a really key point, by the way, about them liking to play with each other. You know, a lot of these guys are similar age, same ages. They came up together through the minors. I love it when, when I see that type of situation. Right, I've and- always felt that that's the best way to have success with a team you know, the A's have been really good at doing that. Unfortunately, they haven't been able to keep their guys, and they are not able to ever, like, bring in free agents to go on top of their minor leaguers. But a lot of those guys in the A's over the years, they all come up together. They all do well together. And, um, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I'm a little, as a Red Sox fan, I'm a little bit envious of the Orioles. Uh, let's take our final time out, though, Pop, because we've gone way over again which is my bad. So we will be back. Stay with us, everyone, right after this.
3: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety, talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot, Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment health and wellness, and more. We'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a
0: member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
2: It wasn't cool when we got started. So got, got started. The commanders gonna be selling going getting get sold for six over six billion dollars. Del Mars around the corner. So many things. We do need an extra hour, Pop. You are you're absolutely right about that. I'd love to talk about all of these things. Especially to squeeze in a little horse racing, but we'll wait until there's uh, a big sexy stakes race or big race card to talk about, but you can always get Pops' picks for horse racing and MLB and beyond. Uh, Pop Dibiase. Find him on the Twitter. Uh,
1: yeah. You, you, you know, Mike, did you get my, it did it did that football? pick for last night?
2: My bad. Did you, you know, I haven't had time to even handicap a race or put in a play at the races. Uh, I'm, I'm missing it.
1: I'm fiending it. I'm craving it. How much did it hit for? Uh, it was 180, but still. Hey, uh, 180 is 180, man. 180 on a $36 investment, because I never go over $36 bucks on my pick fours. I just I refuse to, Mike, because it's just stupid. Because you'll have a pick four come back 18 bucks. If it's hey, all 180
2: 180 on a Wednesday night on a $36 play,
1: I'm all about that.
2: There's but no, you know nothing what's nothing wrong with that?
1: The highlight of the day, though, had to be the nineteen to one though yesterday that I hit. Yeah, it was a nineteen to one. Actually, the let's just say it was it's pretty much twenty one because you know Prescott Downs is becoming my baby uh, right now because that track has been taking care of me on Mondays and Wednesdays. Yesterday we had a horse in the fifth race. He went ahead and uh, cashed out again. Biggest price of the day again. Just like last week, we had a uh, 20-to-1 first-timer, you know. But first day of Saratoga, and you had it too, Mike. Stakes race, two-year-old baby race, I had a 21-to-1 in that race. So opening day worked out pretty good, but I didn't get to pick four late. So, But we did hit the pick five earlier, though, but it wasn't for much. Hey, man, as long as you're – Pulling some twenty to ones, man. I mean Bel- off to a but good start. I, I think I crushed Belmont the last two weeks though, Mike. Like literally two. I think we hit we hit three pick sixes in, in 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 a in a little bit of time. I also hit two pick sixes over at Santa Anita. And you know, I played a two dollar pick six, so you know it was different. And I was playing a dollar pick six over at Wichita. call and you know we was in pick five, pick fours, it was hitting a lot over at Belmont. You know what I mean? I was I was really enjoying Belmont. Yeah, well, uh,
2: speaking of something that I'm not enjoying, it's this news that Golden Gate's going to shut down. We'll have to save that conversation for another day, but I'm very distraught about that. That is my that. home track, man. That is the track that I grew up with. That's the circuit that I grew up with. They already took half of it away when they took Bay Meadows away. Now they're going to take the other half away. They've already taken away some of the fares, like Stockton and some of these other places. Pretty much... They're erasing all of the horse racing memories from childhood. There will be no new memories created for anybody in the next generation here in the Bay Area, the greater northern California region. They're going to make it a super circuit down south. I understand it. I understand they're going to big fields. They they got to do the same thing day.
1: they did in Florida, Mike. You know that. They got to do the same yeah. exact thing they did in Florida when they got rid of Calder. And um, one of my and dad's old oh, oh favorites, uh, Hialeah. Everybody loved yep. Hialeah. Everybody right. loved Hialeah. That was like they Hollywood Park. So, you know, um, because that's how everybody feels about Hollywood Park. Because, yeah, Santa Anita is great. It's the great race place. But we know Santa Anita is kind of like, eh, you know, you are oldie. But you're a little crabby at the same time, too. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you'll, you'll sit up in here and not be so, so kind to me. You know what I mean? But, you know, places like Hollywood Park pay your rent. You know, Del Mar pays your rent. That's why we're even talking about Del Mar. And Mike keeps saying right around the corner – Bro, we are literally you wake up in the morning, you jump into that form, and it's gonna be time to o'clock, brother. And we got the yeah. oceanside stakes uh going as well too. We got ten races, and you already know the first race of the day is gonna probably feature twelve horses as well too, and you're gonna probably get a fifteen to one as the winner. It's gonna be it's gonna be lit right from the from the from the kickoff of the meet, man. For, um, anybody, that's that's listening, that, for anybody
2: that's listening that's gonna play Del Mar, hit a pop, like I said, but if you a venture off on your own Pete Miller Peter Miller makes a living in that summer uh, meet a dumb I don't
1: R. know no, no, Mike, they looking at Pete a little bit differently now, man you know he had to take three months off you know, he, he kind of suspended himself, you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know, I don't know about old Peter Miller, but Peter Miller should have some good. Peter Miller's really good because he's a claimer. You know, what I mean, right. it's not about his his stakes horses like Baffert or anything like that. No, but he no. can get you some good claimers, and he can get you some good allowance horse races. And it's all about spots. And see, the thing is, with me, I think like how a a, a trainer or owner may think. You know what I mean? Because when you know horse racing, you know how to place horses. And right. a lot of times, the way that I make my bets is because I will place that horse in this race. You have This is what I tell people. To be a master horse handicapper, you have to learn how conditions work. And a lot of times, the best handicappers don't get the daily racing form. They also get the conditions book for the whole month on how to do, to to look at things and then you gauge how these horses these horses history and then you put them in the races that suit their best qualities and that's how you do it it's a lot to the it's a lot to the uh science a uh, horse uh cap and man and it's not just you know looking at numbers and things like that but you have to know the conditions and if you know that you got a good sprint horse and he can do the five and a half and he hit this number at this certain time okay put him in this thirty two thousand dollar um start uh, allowance race let's see what we can do oh you know what Let's put him in this high claimer race. I know nobody's going to buy him today, but he's going to be a 15 to 1. We'll win the race. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? That's, that's the type of thinking that you have as a trainer because you know your horse. And that's, that's where, where it makes the most sense. Sometimes there's just trainers out there that are helping fill the condition book. But then there's trainers out there with the idea, knowing that my horse can hit these numbers, and this is the day that we all collect. Because as an owner, you want to be shit. You would love to put $1,000 on a 20-to-1 winner, you know, and know that your trainer is very confident in that win. You know, so, you know, it, it it it's a fun game if you know how to play it the right way. You just can't go out there and look. And another great way is looking at the horse. If you don't do any homework on them, just look at them. If they look healthy enough, man, it doesn't matter if they're 50-to-1 out there. They'll show up in the uh, money for you.
2: There you have it. The,
1: yeah. the rundown by Pop DiBiase. He knows what he's talking about, folks.
2: Years and years and years and years of experience in yeah, the game. Yeah, be always racing. putting
1: that on me, man. I'm only at 39. You God, know what? Years and years. Of, but, yeah, you, you but are right. I know, I know you were noticed since I was five. So you were know, reading the
2: racing him in the womb, bro. It's in the womb. You had a DRF open, handicapping, coming up with winners. But uh, all, all kidding aside, we only have a couple of
1: moments left here. Do you get into the women's World Cup at all? Is that your thing? USA, 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 and that's and it's easy to root for them because they win. Very easy to root for. I do want to give a little bit of
2: props to the uh, Kiwis, New Zealand. The New Zealand gals did something that neither the women's team, nor the men's team, had ever done in their history of the country.
1: What score go? Win
2: win a (laughs) World Cup game. Win a World Cup game. Well, it's almost, they probably haven't scored very many goals. They've never won a game. So (laughs) there's definitely not a lot of scoring going on, but they finally won one, and they beat a a pretty good team. Norway, I believe, is ranked in the uh, top uh, 10, maybe like top seven teams in the world or something like that, and they shut them out. So props to New Zealand happy to see those gals celebrate like they won the world cup, but I get it. You know, when you've never won a game before, like I said, neither the men nor the women have ever won a game. So uh, I'm sure that they are partying all night long in the streets of New Zealand. I have no idea what the streets of New Zealand look like pop, but I'm sure that they're partying in the streets, whatever that encompasses for those guys. But, um, Hey man, in the in the in the closing moments here, I do want to say that right now the Atlanta Braves are looking like a team to reckon with. And even though Texas had a little bit of a slump, they've come back brilliantly. And I think if this ends up being the World Series, Atlanta and Texas that would be one of the best World Series we've seen in a long time. Actually, I shouldn't say that. There's been a lot of really good World Series. This is, would be a really good match. It would you be know, a really, really
1: good match. Trip, trip when I say this right now, though. Okay. When we get to the AL playoffs, the most dangerous team going into that bad boy, if he's healthy, if Buxton gets healthy, the Twins are going to be something to reckon with because they got the best pitchers. They do have good pitching style. That's for yeah. sure. They got the they best, do have the good pitches on. They got the best pitching, t- in my opinion. And the the Rangers, I feel like the Rangers are about to run into a little bit of a snag. And Houston will be will be right there, but they'll be in the playoffs. And Houston and Texas are going to have a great series. I can feel that yeah. coming.
2: It it could come down to those two teams to to get to the World Series, Battle of Texas. I mean, that'll be a lot of fun. But pop, all good things come to an end, including this show, unfortunately. But don't fret, because we're going to be back next week as well. And maybe we'll spend a little bit more time on horse racing, divisional races, more NFL news, and everything else that matters in the sports world. Thank you to everybody involved with the show. Thank you, Voice America. Thank you to you, new Pop DiBiase for being the best wingman out there. And most importantly, thank you to the listener. Without you, there is no show. We will see you same time.